0: Our Heavenly Father, the Word of God is is beyond, in many ways, human comprehension. This is not a book written by men sharing their best thoughts. Father, sometimes we can't understand what the writings of men mean. And here we hold the writings of God in our hand. So, Father, we pray today that the very Spirit of God who inspired the writing of these words of God, will open our hearts and minds to understand them, to apply them, to love them, to embrace them, to be changed by them. For the, we ask you this in Jesus' name and for the sake of the greater growth of his church. Amen. So on to perfection. Achieving maturity in the Christian life. Handling, waiting on the Lord. That's quite a mouthful. That's the title of our current series of messages and the subtitle of our current series of messages, and it's the specific title of today's message. In this little New Testament letter written by James, the earthly brother of the Lord Jesus, we've been discovering an entire list of life circumstances that we must learn to handle if we would become mature Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. Think of this. Say it to yourself. Anybody can be an immature Christian. Isn't that amazing? We're saved by grace. We didn't do anything to get saved And so the most immature of us can continue right on being immature and still be called a Christian. Anybody who's saved can be an immature Christian. But immature Christians run into a lot of hassles in life. A lot of the blessings that the Holy Spirit would want to give us just somehow get stopped right at the front door of our life because there's something in us, some of our immaturity, that just keeps them out. They're incompatible with the life that Jesus himself lived. And so James, the brother of the Lord, observing thousands of believers in that early New Testament church, Jerusalem church, he realized that most of them, probably himself included, had a long ways to go. And he didn't want them to stop short of full maturity. We translate that word perfection. It doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means complete. He didn't want any of them to stop short of completion in Christ, that they might enjoy all the blessings, the abundant life that Jesus said he came to provide. And so in this letter, the Holy Spirit helped James come up with a whole list of stuff that would frustrate the Christian life. A whole list of stuff that immature people just naturally do. And immature Christians do it too. And then they wind up, not generally, the joyful, committed, trusting, or trustworthy Christians that they ought to be. Some of them give up meeting together in Christian fellowship because just, it just seems like it's not working. Well, immaturity never works. And so James, after a period of time, began to address 17, 18, 19. This is our 20th message, I believe. These things that can halt us as we progress, as the Spirit would have us progress toward full maturity in Christ, or what we call, and what James called, perfection. Now today, he brings up another one. Now, he saved this one until chapter 5. And chapter 5 is the last chapter in the book. If he had started with this one, maybe nobody would have read any further. You tell me what you think. It's It's something we must handle that's one of the least popular, and yet the most likely, it's the hardest to handle. Of all the ones he's mentioned. Here's today's key scripture that identifies it. James chapter five, verse seven, the first part, James says, "Be patient, my brothers. How many of you are so patient you don't need to listen to this message?" <laughs> Some of you might say, "I don't think I need to wait till the end." I'm going to give him about five minutes, and we'll see. We'll see. Be patient, my brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming. Now, whenever we hear a phrase like the Lord's coming in a Bible verse, we think it's going to talk about the Lord's coming. Maybe get into the signs of his coming, get into a good revved up prophecy message that Pastor Mark is known for, or not, But James didn't say, wait patiently for the Lord's coming. And here's how you can tell if it's getting near. Encourage one another, the Lord is coming. Whatever He didn't say that. He didn't say, wait patiently for the Lord's coming. He said, wait patiently wait until the Lord's coming. It's almost like, be patient until you don't have to be patient anymore. Until the Lord's coming, when all things will close down and end. You see, it's not that we're simply waiting for the Lord to come, but he's saying, until the Lord comes, we are to be characterized as those who know how to patiently wait through all kinds of stuff. Patience, it's one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the characteristics of a mature believer. It's one of the telltale signs of a Christ-like, Christ-surrendered life. And it's a trait that attracts attention and generates witness. The word James uses here is translated at times in the King James Version. Anybody here still have one of those? Do got it with you right now? Are you checking me according to the true word? The old King James Version translated this Greek word that is translated patience here, translated it as long-suffering. Wow. Any of you raised on the King James Bible, that had to be one of your most favorite words. Long-suffering. Well, the NIV just calls it patience. Patience. It means to wait on the Lord, what James is saying here, wait on the Lord until the conclusion of the matter, whatever it might be. Sometimes it means to wait on the Lord's working. Sometimes it means to wait on the Lord's revealing. Certain things have to come little by little and it takes time for us to get a grasp of of the whole thing. Most generally, it means to wait on some specific outcome that we realize is not up to us. This kind of patience reveals itself as a calm heart in the midst of life's uncertainties. That's how you know if you have it. Do I have a calm heart in the midst of the uncertainty that's around me and in front of me? Am I waiting patiently? Well, here now is today's key concept. We're just going to share it. You could make it up yourself for sure. We say we can't get to maturity, that state of of perfection, of Christian completion, maturity in Christ. We can't get to maturity unless we learn... Notice we have to learn this, it doesn't come naturally, unless we learn how to patiently wait on the Lord. You see, impatience and maturity have nothing in common. And yet impatience is a much more familiar feeling, isn't it? We all know what it's like to be impatient. Impatient. Now, I don't think I've given you any reason so far this morning, but usually by at this point in the message, there's somebody sitting out there saying, would you just get on with it? So what are you going to say today? Well, as we wade our way into this discussion this morning, I'd like to begin by sharing three key observations and see if you agree with these three. Here's the first one. Waiting on anything runs contrary to human nature. Waiting on anything runs contrary to human nature. You see, we human beings generally are doers and achievers. We are not waiters and just dreamers. Wouldn't any three-year-old agree with that? Now, I'm more than 70 years older than that, and I still agree with that. My own human expression, my own human nature, I should say, expresses its own impatient tendencies every time I sit in a line of more than three cars at a red light. Especially when it's a turn signal. You know, you know, you gotta get that arrow's not going to be on there forever, and there's a whole line, and it turns green. You see, one of the great mysteries of life is why every car in the lane cannot begin moving forward together as soon as the light turns green. If you've ever been on Bear Valley Road wanting to turn in onto Ridgecrest, if you're at the end of the line, you're sitting in a place where the turn lane isn't even on the road you're sitting with your left hand tires a little bit in the lane coming at you and your right hand tires are you know in the lane you should be driving through on and then there's just a little double yellow line that you're straddling and a little bit further down there it's going to open up into an actual turn lane but you're sitting there and you can almost see the light and it turns green and you're thinking there's only 45 of us in this line we should all get through. If they would just start as soon as it turns green, you should see somebody crossing, somebody crossing. It should be bumper to bumper all the way. See, my thought is if NASCAR drivers can all start moving at the exact same moment in one of their races, why can't a group of licensed California drivers do so? It's time to go, so let's go. And we should all start together. And even if I'm 50 cars back, I get through easily on that green. Let's just get this show on the road. We all have places to be. Sitting here for a few additional seconds can make the difference between success and failure. You see, waiting on anything... Waiting on people, waiting on circumstances, runs contrary to our human nature. We just naturally want it now and can't understand why it would ever be withheld for a period of time. Second thought there, observation, waiting on anything, honestly, can seem like capitulation. It seems like you just gave up. You see, as I said, we are doers and achievers. We're not quitters and losers. How about the old saying that says, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backward? You can't just stay still. If you're not making progress, you're, you're actually losing ground. I'm sure we've all heard somebody say that along the way. Standing still, sitting still. Doing nothing seems so much like giving up. And as long as I have breath, people say, I'm not going to give up. So waiting is just contrary to to the whole idea of achieving. Haven't you ever encouraged somebody else to have that attitude? Don't stop, don't wait, keep going, keep pushing. Didn't Winston Churchill become a worldwide hero and an inspiration to an entire nation when he ended what turned out to be an epic challenge to the English people during World War II when he ended his speech by saying, we shall never, 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 never give up. We will not just wait for the Americans to come and bail us out. We will not wait for the Germans just to run out of bullets. We will never wait. We will never give up. And for many, many people, for our own human nature, it seems like whenever we say, I'm just going to have to wait, it's like I'm quitting. I'm stopping the energy and the effort. We don't want that. Don't ever want to seem like we're just surrendering, giving up. Waiting can seem like that. Third thing here, waiting on anything can even undermine faith. We would say we are doers and achievers, we are not doubters and unbelievers. Doesn't action, I mean honestly, doesn't action seem to be more compatible with the Christian faith than inaction? Especially to a newer, younger believer. Man, just got saved, is thrilled, is excited. My whole future's out there in front of me, growing in Christ, I've been told is is the goal, and I want to just get with it. I'm I just gonna go, 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 gonna attend everything, gonna do everything, gonna just keep striving forward and and that's kind of the person who might say, We we just in this situation we just gotta do something. Let's pound on this seemingly closed door until it opens. Let's tell this person that we know God's will for their life. Let's demonstrate our faith by running full speed ahead. Anything less, anything less can seem like we lack faith. So those three observations generally on life, waiting on anything runs contrary to human nature, waiting on anything can seem like capitulation, waiting on anything can even undermine faith, seems like a pretty good argument against waiting. And all three of those observations lead to one pretty solid conclusion. The willingness to wait The willingness to exercise patience is unnatural, both for believers and unbelievers. Progress and patience seem mutually exclusive. Well, now, James surely knew that. He knew the way people were. He knew the way that he was. James even got caught up in that during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember, James and the rest of Jesus' earthly brothers challenged, even mocked Jesus when he exercised patience. The instance is recorded, you can read the fuller story this afternoon, in John chapter 7. Here's how it begins. In verse 1, it says this, Jesus went around in Galilee. Now, Galilee was way up north in the country, quite a ways from Jerusalem, the capital where all the action happened, where ultimately Jesus would be crucified, where all the festivals brought people. The head of the spiritual life of the whole country was expressed in Jerusalem. Jesus is way up north in Galilee, where he was born. And John says this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in, Jer- in Judea, where Jerusalem is, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. And when the Jewish festival of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, now this is one of those festivals every, every grown man is supposed to appear, every family in Jerusalem and celebrate this festival. And, and Jesus was uh, way far away and he wasn't packing his suitcase. And his brothers, who were planning to go, said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Now John goes on to say there his brothers didn't believe in him. They were mocking him. You're hiding out up here. You know, you say you've been called. Mother tells the story about your miraculous birth. But uh, if you really mean business, you'll go where business is done. Go to Jerusalem. Show yourself to the world. Declare yourself to be whom you claim to be. John says, therefore, Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. Hmm. You can't bully me into going. If it's not the right time, I'm not going. And my time, as far as I'm aware, has not yet come, even though for you, any day, any minute, any hour, any anything is fine with you, but I am working under some sort of divine plan. There is a right time, and I'm going to wait until that time has come. You see, those who are led by fleshly passions or by their own human notions generally do not and cannot differentiate between one time and another time. For them, as Jesus said to his brothers, any time will do. The important thing, they would say, is that they're taking action toward the goal that they have adopted. However, those who, like Jesus, are seeking to be sensitive and obedient to God's divine timing, they recognize that their brilliantly tactical Abba Father has established a right time for everything he has chosen for his children to do. Therefore, waiting on the Lord becomes something that we simply must learn to handle. Got to learn to handle waiting. Specifically, waiting for God's direction. Waiting for God's timing. Waiting for God to reveal that now is the time. And that takes learning. That's against our natural nature. That's even against our zealous Christian spirit at times. But if we're really going to become mature in Christ, we need to learn to do that. How to handle those times or even that concept of waiting. So now, James becomes our teacher. He's no longer a mocker of his brother, he's now a believer in his brother, he's now a leader in his brother's church on earth, and James becomes our teacher, and just like his earthly brother, James now takes some very earthy examples to make his point. So here's what I'm calling this morning, three patient-producing life realities. They can help us learn how to be patient. Learn how to wait. Things that we can put in our minds that says, well, yeah, I can see that, I can see that. Sometimes you just have to wait. Well, the first two are from James and the third one's from me. Here's the first one. James would say the nature of life itself should encourage patience. If we just watch the way things go in God's universe, we should understand that patience is a big part of the the process. So here's what James says, James chapter 5, verse 7 also, but the middle part, he says, he's telling us, some things just cannot be rushed. Well, here's how he puts it. He says, look at the farmer. See how the farmer patiently waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. He says, look at this, people. You're not farmers, maybe. But learn from the farmer. See how the farmer at times has to just wait. He patiently waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Now the farmer had to put some seeds in the ground. The farmer had to prepare the ground. The farmer has to tend it a little bit during the growing season to get weeds out of it and so forth. But he can't make the thing grow faster. He can't make the thing grow bigger and and more lush. He does what he can do, and then he has to wait. Any farmer knows there's a growing season. And the process of growth and development just can't be rushed. The farmer must simply, as James says, wait for the land to yield its valuable crop. A lot of things in the Christian life are like that. Those of you who have been Christians longer uh, will say, yeah, I know, I've learned that. You see, it takes time to gain a familiarity with God's Word, doesn't it? It's a pretty big book. Even just the New Testament, even just the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' earthly ministry, You need to read them and read them until you can picture what he did and what he said, and that the Holy Spirit at times can bring Jesus' words right back to your mind and say, this is the moment that needs to be applied. We went through that whole series we called Red Letter Living, just going through the red letters of Jesus, his teachings. And he said, anyone who will put these teachings of mine into practice, well, if you're going to put them into practice, you have to know what they are. And you can't know what they are unless you read them and study them and become familiar with them. So that takes time. It takes time to develop a testimony of God's faithfulness. Oh, there's something beautiful about someone who has a testimony that God has been faithful. God brought us through. It looked really, really bad there for a while. And we prayed, we trusted, and by God's grace, we got through that time. A testimony like that can't be just immediate. It's a process. It's over time. It's saying, and I've seen God do other stuff like that. I've shared with you many, many times in this church, tithing. It takes a long time to develop a tithing testimony. Because the Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't pour you, open up the windows of heaven and pour you on such a blessing that you can't contain it. You say, boy, I'm getting on with that tithing thing. And you bring your tithe on a first fruits Sunday, and by Monday, you're checking your bank account. I wonder how long God's going to take. Tuesday, Wednesday... Pretty soon the whole month goes by. Somehow you got through the month. You paid all your bills. You fed your family. Everything seemed to work out really well, even though this amount of money was gone from it. But then next first fruits, it's like, well, I'll give it one more week, one more month. You bring your tithe. And sure enough, on Monday, you check your bank account. Tuesday. And it's like, If he opened up a window from heaven, it must have been the smallest window (laughs) ever known to man. In fact, I don't even see anything that slipped through. then you talk to somebody who's been tithing about 20 or 30 or 40 years. And they say, yeah, we, we tithe from the time our first child was born. Somehow, our children got through college with bills paid. Somehow the old refrigerator in the house seemed to just last forever. Somehow the washing machine kept right on going and going. Somehow the car, the new car we bought, you know, when we buy the five-year-old car, keep it for five years and look for another new car, somehow the old thing lasted longer than five years. It just kept on, you know, I don't understand all of that, even though I never saw anything flood, flood into my bank account. It just seemed like what was in there went further. It takes a time to build a tithing testimony. It takes time to build a a testimony of how God is faithful, because faithful all by itself implies time. Many of the things in the Christian life. It takes time to prove the wisdom of a certain course of action that you felt God had led you on, and then the devil would say, boy, I think you made a foolish decision there. I remember, and let me just share with you a very precious memory for me. I remember Don Grant. Don was one of the founding fathers of this fellowship from day one. He's with the Lord now. Just a few weeks after our very first service, that was September the 18th, 1994, and we had a full house. little chapel that we were meeting in, about 150 people showed up. The week before, when the leaders there, the ones who felt committed to this ministry and interested in this ministry, I counted, there were 29 people that seemed to be Uh, wanting to be part of this new church start. 145 or 46 showed up that first Sunday, and I remember Don saying to me, as I was jumping up and down, he just kind (laughs) of slowed me down a little. He said, Pastor, it will probably be at least a year before we know how many of these people are really with us. That is, how many of them have really bought into the concept, the concept of a church that has captivated us? It's going to take time for them to figure out what it is that they're actually attending. And the truth was, and the good thing was, it was five months from September to February before we had our first member commitment Sunday. And over those five months, we discovered this first thing we discovered very quickly. Some of those early attenders were just well-wishers and what the business uh, real estate people would call looky-loos. They heard there was a service and they showed up. See what's going on. Others of them were church traditionalists who just could not accept the simplicity of what we were planning to offer the harvest could not be rushed. And in certain ways, the harvest that could be called Sun Life Community Church is only being realized in these days. You see, patience has been an important key to the process, and it always is. Some things just cannot be rushed, especially the things that God is doing. Here's another thing. Some things just cannot be controlled. That's also James 5, 7. James says, see, meaning talking of the farmer, see how patient he is for the autumn and the spring rains. It takes rain to get a crop started And it takes rain later on to to just let that crop flourish. It determines whether it's going to be a, a skimpy crop or a bumper crop, according to that later, latter rain. Now, we here in California are most aware of the unpredictability of rain and the fact that we cannot control it. Farmers have known what it's like to wait and hope since the beginning of time. Spiritually speaking, sometimes our ideas don't match up with God's at all. And therefore, the rain never comes. And even when it has come right on time, it had to be waited for. James reminds us that life is like that. The very nature of life should encourage patience, and the wise person recognizes it and learns to wait patiently. The Christian life is no different. The earlier, the quicker a young believer learns that lesson, the more ground they gain on their journey toward maturity. So James says, be patient. Be patient, my brothers. The very nature of life should encourage it for you. Secondly, he says the nature of God himself. ...should encourage patience. James 5, verse 11. He says, he, speaking of God, is full of compassion and mercy. God's worth waiting on. He's the one you can confidently wait on. Now, James uses as his example the Old Testament story of Job. My goodness, if you wanted to encourage somebody to wait on the Lord... Why would you bring up Job? Well, why not mention that God promised his people that they'd only be 70 years in Babylon and then he will bring them back and make Nehemiah the hero of your story, that he understood God was going to bring them back, they're going to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and it's going to be great. But he brought up the story of Job. Job, an incredibly godly man, the most godly man, really, on the face of the earth. And God had actually said to the devil, have you noticed my servant Job? He is great, he's awesome, he's true, he's faithful. And the devil says, no, he's not. He only appears to be that way because you blessed him so. You allow me to take away all of his blessings, all of his physical health, all of his money, all of his even family love. You let me take all of that away, and he'll show you what he really is. A rebellious, hateful, fallen human being, just like all the rest. And God allowed that test to go on. Never told Job anything about it. But all those horrible things happened to Job. God just said to Satan, you can't take his life. But Satan made life physically terrible for Job. In the end, in the end, Job, Job's own wife said to him, look, why don't you just curse God and die, be done with it? And Job says this, I know him. That's what's implied there. I know him. And even if he slays me, I will still trust him. I will still trust him. I will wait this out. I will proceed through with my trust, unquestioned. I trust him, even if the worst happens to me. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And God honored him and Satan, of course, lost the entire contest. And God returned to Job everything he had had, and even more. And James is saying, our God is like that. He's compassionate, full of compassion and mercy. Even if there are times when you don't think you're experiencing any of that. God is still that, and he will treat you mercifully. He will treat you with compassion. And James might say, sometimes you just need to wait on him because he's doing other things in your life than you are even aware of. So trust him. He is who he is. You can trust him to be that, and you can wait on him, even when uh, what's happening is beyond your understanding. James then says in James chapter 5, verse 11, the middle part, he says, you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I'd circle that, underline it, highlight it, that word finally a lot of us right now are in situations where the finally hasn't come yet. Continue to trust the Lord. Continue to wait on the Lord. Finally might be the day you enter into his presence and you're just overwhelmed when the Lord Jesus says, I want you to meet this one. This And he makes some reference to that period of life where you found it very challenging to just wait on him. He says, I I want you to meet her. I want you to meet him. There there was that time where, for several years there, for several years there, she, he didn't know what was going on, why it was going on, didn't even know if they could hang on through it, but they did. And they waited for the outcome to come. And this is the ultimate outcome. See, James says we need to learn that. We don't know what God's up to. We don't know what plans he has for us. We don't even know if the crop's going to come in great. Just trust him and wait on him. Wait on him. And then I'd just share one last thing with you. Number three, a patience-producing life reality that, that I would share with you goes like this. The nature of the journey itself should encourage patience the nature of the journey itself, this Christian life, this path we're walking down. We say here, waiting on the Lord doesn't slow our progress toward perfection. It actually accelerates it. It takes a degree of maturity to resolve to wait on the Lord for the conclusion of some matter, some matter that cannot be rushed and that's out of our own control the totally immature will just continue on their way, either not recognizing the situation is out of their control or simply not caring. They're going to establish control over it, and they just push ahead. They push on. Frequently, they wind up in some disaster, a wipeout that challenges their faith even and that brings their journey toward maturity to a halt because now they're all filled with all sorts of immature thoughts and notions and deeds and efforts. On the other hand, those who are mature enough to recognize when it is time to stop and wait on the Lord, and when they do that, and when the matter is finally resolved, they will find they are further on that pathway toward perfection than they were when they chose to stop and wait. Because in the waiting, they're being perfected. In the waiting, they're learning to be mature and to trust God and to believe God and to just uh, be willing to sit in the dark for a moment and wait on him. And so we say waiting on the Lord demonstrates maturity. It not only helps create it, it demonstrates you've got a good bit of it already. To wait on the Lord takes a mature attitude and mature uh, determination. So our final thought says this, none fall so far behind as those who seek to run ahead. Maturity comes soonest to those who have learned to handle waiting on the Lord. I don't know if there's anything particular that is underway in your life, or that you want to see underway in your life, or that you even know God has working through your life right now, but it's not done yet, I just encourage you, just wait on him. Wait on him. If there's even areas of your life that are just completely big question marks, you wonder, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be? What are the decisions I'm going to make? How will this work out? Where will I be 10 years from now? Just wait on the Lord. He will reveal to you everything you need to know. He will accomplish through you everything he desires to do. He will bring you to that place where within yourself, peace and waiting fit right together. And you'll know something of the compassion and the mercy of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you look down upon us with all the wisdom of the ages. And yet the Bible says you you sympathize with us. The Lord Jesus understood what it's like to be a human being and have to trust you for the timing, for the fulfilling of even the will that you had revealed to him. So Father, we pray that you'd fill us You'd fill us right now with the ability, if it's necessary, this very moment to just wait on you. Protect us from foolishness. Protect us from over-eagerness. Protect us from running into places where you would not want us to ever be. And if there's anyone in this room right now Feeling that that feeling of anxiety in their heart because of some unknown circumstance. Father caused them to say, I will wait on God. I don't have to know this right now. I will wait on God. I will trust him. I will yield myself, every part of me, to his care right now. And then Father filled them with that peace, And give them the the ability to to practice this lesson that James would teach us. Father, may we never forget it. May we we just be those who know how to trust you and to wait when we must do so. For we ask it in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.